You're listening to Self-Publishing Journeys, the weekly podcast for all new and aspiring self-published authors. Stand by for tips, resources, hints, and practical techniques to help you on your own self-publishing journey. Meet indie authors at different stages of their writing careers and hear how they manage to get their own books published and making sales. For show notes, web links, and useful resources, please head to selfpublishingjourneys.com. Now, here's your show host, self-published author and digital marketer, Paul Teague. Hello and welcome to podcast episode 40 for Monday the 5th of December 2016. My guest on this week's show is author Harry Bingham. Harry is the author of the Fiona Griffith series of crime novels. The series is set in Cardiff and features a heroine described by the Sunday Times as the most startling protagonist in modern crime fiction, brutal, freakish and totally original. Harry also created the Writer's Workshop in 2005 by spending an initial £800 on a website offering editorial services. The Writer's Workshop is now the largest editorial consultancy in the UK. Harry's books on getting published and how to write are among the leading titles in their field, and the first Fiona Griffiths novel was televised by Sky Living. When I chatted to Harry, I began by asking him how he'd transitioned from his original job as a banker to being a writer. I always wanted to be a writer and had started my novel actually while being a banker. But I mean, that was a sort of play thing on holiday. I didn't really, you know, wasn't contemplating giving up my career overall. But then my wife got quite seriously ill um, and it became clear that I couldn't really go on working. We had care assistance for her, but but that wasn't really working out. So it was clear I needed to give up work, at least temporarily, to look after her. And while I did that, I wrote my first novel, or finished writing my first novel, which was a monster. It was a beast. It was 180,000 words. Um, and, I, you know, I worked really hard on it um, and got an agent for it. And we got a publisher for it. And I never went back to banking. 180K, that's some way to start writing. Did you find that fairly straightforward? Did you just launch straight into it? I did. Um, I mean, what I would say is, because a novel that length, I mean, it's, it's like two or three sort of regular novels um, jammed together um and you know that that's a lot of experience so that by the time i got to the end of the book i was just a better writer than i was at the start so i basically deleted the sars of the book and rewrote it um and i worked i mean the one thing i would say as well is <clears throat> i came into you know writing from banking and in banking there was a kind of relentlessly perfectionist approach to everything and if a presentation needs to be rewritten 35 times to get it right it, it was going to be rewritten 35 times to get it right and everybody had their input, and the idea of demolishing work and redoing it and demolishing work and redoing it, that just struck me as ordinary rather than, you know, why would you ever want to do that? So I brought those attitudes into writing a novel, and that definitely helped. Um, and it meant that when I went out to agents, I was basically going out with, with a, a novel that was ready to publish, and indeed I didn't do any editorial work with my agent. Um, she just said, Harry, I'm a terrible editor. Um, and, and I think this novel is great. Let's get it straight out there. <laughs> so, so we did. And then I didn't actually do that much editorial work with my with my publisher either. So what was that process like? Because this is going a few years back. I mean, I guess that we haven't really got major traction with self-publishing at that time. Was it still pretty well a traditionally dominated industry? Yeah. I mean, this was, I got my first book deal in October 98, 1998. So, um, and, and the book came out in February 2000. So, Self-publishing then was, you know, it, it was it was basically for uh, 
Yeah, I, I, either, you know, you wanted your memoir or whatever privately published for friends and family and absolutely good on you, absolutely fine for that. Or it was people who just really, really wanted to be in bookshops and would sort of cycle around local shops, you know, placing two books here and three books there and sort of hand-selling their work, and that's absolutely fine as well. Or it was just sort of vanity publishers and crazies. Um, so the idea of electronic publishing didn't exist. And, you know, back then, did anyone make money from self-publishing? I don't think I ever met anyone who did. So for you, it was traditional all the way at that point. How did that first book go uh, when you were an unknown writer? Yeah, it became a bestseller. I, I mean, it, it went... It, the, the industry was very different then, um, but I, I was paid a lot of money for the book. It was, you know, in, in sort of slightly old-fashioned parlance now, it was a super lead title for HarperCollins, um, and it sort of went straight onto the Sunday Times bestseller list. Um, and, but that was with them hurling a lot of money at the book and hurling it in quite an old-fashioned way. So back then, you know, new book by new author, I had uh, posters on the underground. I had huge posters, um, uh, you know, pa- Paddington and Victoria and other places that um, they probably spent 50 grand uh, on advertising to consumers for that book. Now that would never ever happen today. <laughs> I mean, that's a lovely experience to have, but that's a fairly old style and not typical experience now, isn't it? Oh, you'd never have it now. No, you you never have it now. I mean, it's not that they don't spend money. They do spend money, but you just don't see the consumer ads. So, so where they spend money is, you know, like, if, for example, you get your book into Richard and Judy, um, you, you will then be calling Smith's and calling Smith's Travel and calling the supermarkets and whacking the book into every prom- promotion you can. But those things cost money. I mean, I, I don't know what the numbers are now, but, you know, a, a few years back, to be a WH Smith Book of the Week cost you £25,000. Wow. So, you know, there's there's real marketing money. But that stuff is basically buying you space um, in retail promotions. It's not, it, it's not anything that the consumer is actually going to see. When we look at your, um, your output in terms of writing, um, you, you, there's quite a variety there in the early books. You know, obviously, you've settled on crime in the, la- in the latter or more recent part of your career. Um, but we've got some nonfiction in there. We've got some fiction. Um, how did you find your way through those early days? You've written the first book, great success with that. What was the next step that you took with writing? Well, as my career settled down with HarperCollins, um, th- th- there was we-, we had a kind of couple of bad experiences, but but, but the-, the-, the worst of it was they were all ready to, to make a really really big launch. That sort of in their minds, it was going to be the sort of decisive thing that established me as a household name, um, and they were prepared to spend then you know a lot a lot of money to do it. This was with my third book. And um, there there was some sort of change, some personnel changes at WH Smith. Um, And, you know, that that was just one of those kind of corporate things. Every now and then big corporates have bloodlettings and people go and people come. And and the new guy just said, I'm not going to buy any books by Harry Bingham. And, you know, he had, what, a thousand decisions to make on arriving in his new job. And he was like, nope not having Harry Bingham. He hadn't read the books, but he can't read the books. The retailers can't buy, the, you can't read the books they're buying. So he, he just made a decision based on whatever it was. I don't know. Um, but at that point, HarperCollins just said, okay, if WH Smith isn't in this game, we are going to pull all support from the book. And basically my 
career then was sort of, you know, that stream of fiction writing was killed then and there by that decision. And I'm not blaming the guy at Smith's. I mean, he, 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 you know, he was there to do a job and maybe he was better than the old guy. I don't know. So it's not that anyone was to blame particularly, but, but my sales for that book bombed. And then basically <laughs> once you've got a real dud in your sales record, um, it's, it's not recoverable from because everybody looks at your past sales and goes, they're not interested in the reasons why. You just go, oh, these books aren't selling, so why would I stock them in my shop? So I did another two books for HarperCollins, basically just working out an existing contract, but then they weren't going to renew. I mean, we were still, still selling in reasonable numbers, actually, but just they weren't going to renew us in advance that I was going to accept. So I, I went off and wrote some nonfiction and then came back to fiction in a different guise. When you did the nonfiction, was who was that for? Was that you, you weren't self-publishing at that stage, were you? No, no. Um, I did two books for Bloomsbury. I wish I had self-published those now. But again, this was really early days of electronic self-publishing. I mean, when I did those books, it would have been a sort of bold move doing them without, um, you, you know, in, 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 a, in a non-traditional way. Um, and then I did two um, perfectly traditional non-fiction things with Fourth Estate, which is a different part of HarperCollins. I mean, totally different contract, totally different auction and everything. Um, but again, you know, I got paid a ton of money for those books through a traditional auction process. Um, and I don't think I'd have had any chance even now of making that kind of money from self-pub for those, for those two books, I mean. And you've got a couple of um, writers and artists guides too. Does that include those, those books? Yeah, so that's the Bloomsbury stuff. Yeah. That's the stuff which I, I now wish I had those, you know, but once you sell the rights, you sell the rights. Um, but I, I would I would dearly love to have those things back again, yeah. When you sell the rights to your book, when you're doing traditional deals, are you selling in all territories and were they marketing you in all territories? Uh, it depends, different book deals with different people. That there's, there's no set rule. With, with Bloomsbury, it, it was for all territories. Um, uh, and, you know, again, it's a pity because I'm pretty sure I could do a better job with those books than they're doing. Um, uh, with my other books, it was kind of UK and Commonwealth only, and then we, you know, got other, sold other foreign rights and so on piece by piece. Now, that's a pretty uh, bruising experience to have in your writing career. Um, you know, you said that your, your name then gets tarnished uh, at that point. So how do you recover from that? How did you begin to turn that uh, around other than oh, well, writing this nonfiction? The answer, is, the answer is I didn't and you can't. I mean, once once you've got – so, so the, the kind of fiction that I was originally writing for HarperCollins, um, basically that sales failure with my third book um, – totally destroyed my name or any chance of rebuilding that career i mean it's been so long ago now that i probably could do it now I mean, if i came back with a sort of jeffrey archer work you know historical fiction now everyone would have forgotten about that and they wouldn't be able to find the data anyway but um you can't you, you cannot recover from it so you can just go away and do something completely different which is what i did by turning to non-fiction um and then when i came back to fiction and started writing crime Again, no one cared about, you know, that, that's such a different genre from what I was writing before. No one cared what my sales record was before. So, but, but basically once you've, in traditional publishing, once you've, you know, if, if you're a women's fiction writer and you burn out a career there, yeah, you can start again under a different name or you can write a different genre, but you can't 
continue writing in that genre under that name and hope to recover it. You can't. Where did the crime come from then? Were you always interested in that genre? No, I mean, I'd read it quite a lot as a sort of teenager and, and sort of early 20s or something um, and kind of lost interest in it. And then various incidents kind of brought me back to, to crime and I started reading a lot more and started thinking, hey, I could do this. I'd, I'd love to do it. Um, and then, you know, got an idea for this, this character, Fiona Griffiths, who felt pretty special and her voice felt pretty special. And she, she feels very, very natural as a detective. But it, it's like, you know, if in my head, she was something else I'd have written something else so it was the character that drew me rather than the genre and you've gone as a male writing a, a female character How, why that choice well because it felt right for the, for the book and, and everything um, the, the, the traditional British detective um, is your John Rebus type character so he's middle aged he's taken a few knocks he drinks too much his relationships are crap Crap. um you know his, his family relationships and his his romantic ones um and he's a bit of a maverick and you know he's he's a, a tough seen it all, all di detective inspector but he's not going to go any higher because he has problems with the hierarchy and i wanted i wanted the opposite of that so i wanted a young slight female junior inexperienced detective who you know might or might not have a boyfriend but was certainly kind of keen to have a sort of you know, destined to have a, a proper settled down kind of grown up relationship and who had warm relationships with her, her family and so on. Teetotal. Um, so I, I took kind of the opposite of the Rebus character as my basis and then started playing games on it. And, you know, I'm one of the games, for example, is although my character is teetotal, she never drinks at all or she might sip a tiny little bit of wine now and again. Um, yeah. So although she sort of seems very prim and proper in those kind of ways, She's also perfectly happy to, to grow and smoke her own marijuana. <laughs> and did you um, conceive that character as somebody who was going to be taking part in a series of books, or did you write yeah. the first one as a standalone? Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> I, I, mean, I mean, not least because of, of my kind of complicated publishing experience previously. I thought, look, I, I don't want to be, you know, every year or two writing a new novel on spec, and hawking it around and seeing if I can sell it for enough money to live on. Um, I want to, you know, have something that looks a little bit like a, a stable income from writing. Uh, and, and so, yeah, I certainly built her to launch a series, um, and that idea was embedded from the very, very first. And as an unknown crime writer, obviously not an unknown writer, uh, how easy was it then to place that book? Yeah, I mean... The, the book was, was, was good and we sold it without difficulty um, and we, we sold it internationally. So it was, you know, UK and France and Germany and Italy and Spain and, and um, the United States and a whole lot of other places as well. So it, it remains true in traditional publishing that if a book is good enough, it'll sell. And, then, and, and the first book was sellable as well. So, so you know, if, if, the, if the stuff is good enough, it will sell and you can make money. Um, I mean, it's it's still a complicated business, but the fact is that the quality material does sell. I'd like to talk to you about the Sky Living TV series, because, I mean, that must have been thrilling uh, for you to have that. How, how did that come about? Well, you know, I mean, the, the, the answer there isn't very interesting. I mean, the answer is um, 
you know, I have an agent and I have a film agent and, you know, all TV channels want, you know, their cop shows and they're all looking for, for, for something interesting, something different, something that is a, a twist on what they've already got. And my book clearly offered that. So, yeah, I mean, it, it just, you know, it just wasn't that hard. I mean, we, we got the book out there via my film agent to various production companies. We got various bids. Um, and, you know, the, the two sort of lead bidders were, um, uh, I think it's okay say this itv productions who are excellent um, and obviously part of a huge media empire um, and then a, a teeny tiny company called bonafide with you know a couple of crummy rooms in a sort of side road off, off the charing cross road didn't look like anything at all but i love the people at bonafide and the, the kind of two principles there were obviously very very strong the people at itn were, were itv were, were great as well um but i, I went with bonafide because i like the sort of vision that i was being pitched and they got the project sort of green-lighted with Sky very, very quickly. Um, and, and off we went. I, I mean, I think Sky would probably have renewed that thing that they were looking set to, to recommit. to. So, so they did a kind of two-hour adaptation early on, but we're looking at turning that into a series. But then, you know, it's another one of those kind of corporate reshuffle type things. They had been intending to expand their UK production sites, and in the end, they cancelled it completely, everything. So it wasn't just my show. It was... Like everything, <laughs> um, but that's you know that's that's the land of TV, that's the land of media. What was your uh, involvement in it? Did you have creative control? Did you let it go at that point? Did you get to go on set? No. Yeah, I mean, you you, you get to go on set, but um, I, I think it's Tom Clancy says if if you sell your your book to Hollywood, it's it's like selling your daughter to the sex industry. You you, you do not have any control. I mean, you're, you're selling it. Um, so th- th- there are some very broad limitations on what they can do. So they can't, you know, if they turned it into a series, they couldn't have killed my lead character. Um, uh, but, but you know, you actually can't limit them. They're, they've got to make something for TV. And you can't just say, hey, 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 that's not how it was in the book. Um, you've got to let them, you've got to choose people you trust and then give them their heads. Were you happy with it? Yeah, up to a point. I, I mean, I thought the production... Was, was great they had great acting the, the, the direction was superb the production quality was superb the, the, the script was a bit patchy i think because there wasn't a particularly brilliant fit between the script writer and the actual material um and, and the timetable was so compressed that it was difficult to sort that out properly so it, it was the, the result was kind of okay it was a bit of a mishmash um but I'm a bit perfectionist about these things. But, you know, as I say, it was, it was good enough and it got enough kind of critical, um, positive critical commentary uh, that I think Sky were looking set to, to recommission on the basis of what they saw. Is there a danger from a writer's point of view then of getting caught in a bit like a Lee Child scenario where we've got Tom Cruise, you know, playing the, the lead character? And I don't think Lee Child's really too keen on Tom Cruise. It's not really how he envisaged the character at all. Well, I, I mean, I don't think any writer is that scared of being caught in a Lee Child situation. I mean, it's like if you said to me, hey, Harry, you're going to be caught in a Lee Child situation. You're going to be, <laughs> I mean, I'd, be like, I'd be fine with that. Um, if, if you sell your work to, to, to TV or film, you've got to accept it's going to come out different from how it is in your head. That, and if you can't accept that, don't sell it. 
Yeah, so you have to be prepared to release into the wild. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Now, so with the rights on that, so Sky Living did the the deal, and then we had you know changes again. Is could that be picked up again? Because obviously, you know, you've written well into that series now. It's pretty substantial, pretty attractive from a TV point of view. I would have thought if somebody's tested the water, could somebody else pick that up, or do the rights go at that point? No, and, and we, we still. I mean, it's it's in Hollywood at the moment, and in fact, we're expecting an offer through now. We'll, we'll have to see whether the offer's for enough money and whether, whether everything else about us is right. So, you know, just getting an offer doesn't mean we don't necessarily say yes. But no, no, it, it's certainly still alive. I, I mean, the right situation gets complicated and it gets boring and it gets legal. And, you know, luckily I've got people who are paid to think about that kind of thing. Um, so I, I don't have to worry about it. But, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I imagine that it will hit the screens at some point again. Interesting. You're, you're writing career has also uh, run alongside uh, a significant amount of entrepreneurialism because you've created the the writer's workshop now I think that came about not by accident but it it, it came about because you were almost getting too much work and you had to start farming it out I think well yeah yeah. I mean actually what it came from was was you know that early bad experience with HarperCollins thinking hold on you you just killed this book um you know, the, the, the book that was going to be my big breakthrough book, it's just died because of W.H. Smith. I can't plausibly rely on um, writing as, as a way to make a living. Um, so I thought I, I need to sort of set up some some kind of something on the side. I thought, well, you know, I, I know a bit about writing. I can offer some editorial services. And then we just kind of grew and grew from there. Um, and, yeah, so, so, I mean, the Writers' Workshop, for people who don't know about it, is we, we do – we offer editorial advice to – um, new writers. We offer writing courses, and we offer the the um, festival of writing in in York. Um, so 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 we we do we do a lot, and basically we aim to be. I mean, because we're writer led, um, it's yeah yeah. Of course, we're there to make money, um, but we also want to really deliver the service to writers that we would want we would have wanted you know back when we were in that position, and we take that really really seriously. And yeah, I mean, our results speak for themselves, and we we've had multi million book selling authors we've had people with huge film deals we've had people with you know a, a, any amount of kind of commercial success as well as people who you know with much smaller books and whose kind of success is on a much smaller scale but that, that's fine i mean our job is to help people produce the book they want to produce and then if that's a small book great if that's a big book great you know i'm not fussed about that I discovered you last year, so I'm a fairly recent uh, beginner with writing and self-publishing. So I went to the Festival of Writing for the first time last year, attended this year as well for the second time. Um, the thing that struck me, because I'm immersed, absolutely immersed in indie in indie circles, um, it really surprised me actually the first time I went, was how traditionally minded everybody there is still. That's the aspiring writers. Yeah, um, I mean, that may be our client base. I mean, as, as you know, Paul... Um, I'm now I've traditionally published in the UK and kind of in sort of various foreign language markets, but I'm self-published in the US. And to me, um, th- there's no sort of status distinction between self-pub and traditional. It's really a question of, you know, what, what serves your purposes and where do you make the most money and where do you achieve the most satisfaction? Um, and, you know, where do, you, where do you get the best connection with your readers and, and produce the sort of books you want to book, produce? So, so the questions are all about what your goals are and how to accomplish them. That there's no sort of status thing for me, and I love self-pub. I absolutely love it. Um, 
and, and I'm a big fan of it, and I've got you know some sort of real criticisms of, of the traditional industry. Um, so yeah, our, it is interesting. Our client base is still very much traditionally focused, and I'm not quite sure why that is. I think it's partly just that because of our setup and our history, we always were traditionally focused, and for some reason we've kept that same client base. But also, I think a lot of people do just think I want to get published, and of course I could buy my stuff up on Amazon, but that wouldn't really feel like being published. Um, now, I think a lot of those people, I mean, I, I think quite a lot of people entering the traditional publishing industry may not get the outcomes they expect or thought they deserved and may end up thinking, look, I am a writer, but I've got my issues with the industry. I want to see what I can do. Self-pub. So it may be, you know, in a weird way that the traditional industry will, you know, one of the things it'll be um, is, is a kind of training ground for writers giving people the first experience of the whole publication process and training them for a future career in self-publishing i mean i think that's perfectly possible the, the thing that i left with I, i'd never experienced agents before that was the main attraction for me at that point was to see eye to eye with an agent have a conversation just see where we were with everything um and and, and it was quite a interesting experience actually there can be quite bruising experiences but what i left with what i leave every time from your uh, festival of writing um, even though I think I'm a self-publisher through and through, is this feeling that you've really got to raise your game. It's You've got to play at the highest level, you, you know, if you're yeah. going to get a oh, yeah. and, I, and See, that, I mean, I think if I could give one message to the self-pub community, it it's that it all starts with the book. It all starts with the book. And, you know, if if the book's not good enough, then you can do any amount of mailing list building and Facebook advertising and blah, 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 blah. But your, your sales will never progress beyond a certain point because the product just isn't good enough and when you kind of encounter the agent process yeah it can be bruising but my goodness it, it's a real sort of wake-up call it's like is your book actually good enough to cut it in a world where there is an infinity of of competition out there uh and that, that's that's really useful so i i kind of think it you know if, if you're thinking of self-publishing your work good by all means do that i'm not snobby about that at all i, I mean i just think it's great um, but if, if you're if you're going to do that, then you should be either capable of getting an offer from an agent, you know, an agent saying I'd like to take you on, or at least you're getting pretty close with a number of agents because that sort of tells you, yeah, your work is in the zone, and at that point you might want to go trad, you might want to go self pub, um, but you know that your work is basically of the right kind of quality. And even then, I'd, I'd say, you know, to any self pubber, look, all professional trad authors uh use get editorial advice from their publishers and their books get better as a as a result of that um i i think there's uh too much sort of sloppiness amongst too many self-pubbers where you know they're not taking that editorial advice and they're putting out books that are not as good as they could be and should be and in, in the end that means that the product's not quite strong enough to sell in the market um so yeah i'm a big big fan of editorial advice and i do think that agents whether you're going to use them or not they're a pretty good test and a free test after all of whether your book is basically in the zone my favorite session at the festival of writing is the future cast session um last year yeah, yeah it's <laughs> i love it we had a, we had a gasp last year when an agent said uh, something like um you need us more than we need you 
and uh, and there was a sharp intake of breath in the room. And uh, this year, um, I felt the mood was changing. I felt your mood changed as the the host of that session. You know, you felt very very pro self publishing. I thought at that session this year. Is that that fair to say? Yeah, yeah. But but I mean, I've been pro self pub for years. Um, I mean, ever ever since it became possible to to make a living by self publishing ebooks on Amazon. Yeah, you know, that was a t- total game changer. And I think it's a total game changer for authors in general. So, so that now, you know, I, I mean, I, I'm about to, um, sort of, I'm getting towards the end of my contract with Orion. I need to think about, um, you know, renewing it. Um, but, you know, one of the sort of things in the room there is, is they now have got an alternative. And a few years ago, that just wasn't the case. But now I've got a completely realistic alternative to traditional publishing. And I can sell trade paperbacks. I can sell ebooks. If I want to sell audio, I can sell audio. If I wanted to put out hardbacks, I could put out hardbacks. There's nothing that I can't do, um, except get into bookshops. So, you know, but at the same time, in terms of Amazon stuff, my royalties would be like 100% on of, of net receipts of ebooks rather than the 25% that I get from my publisher. So, you know, even for traditionally published authors, I think um, the, 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 what self-publishing offers is, is amazing. It gives you a negotiating position. The, the buzz again this year, uh, I thought, was from the new kid on the block, which is Bookature. Uh, and you, you seem to be fairly excited by that, I thought, as well. I'm hoping to get them on the podcast, actually, uh, as well. Um, why do you think there's so much excitement about Bookature? Oh, I, I, well, I mean, I think, I think Bookature is the best publisher in the world. I, I mean, at the moment, and, and it may change, I, I think they are the best publisher in the world. Um, I, I think they are... Now, obviously, they don't sell on the high street at all. And, you know, kind of more traditionally oriented people would go, oh, well, then they're not a proper publisher. Well, hang on, they're selling a lot of books um, that they are outstanding at selling on Amazon. Um, and I think, you know, we invited them to the festival um, precisely because, you know, I'm excited about them and because we think that, again, it's offering writers a real alternative to, to the traditional industry. And I'm all in favour of the traditional industry too. I'm, there's, there's no part of it that, that I want to bash, but the more options, the more viable options writers have, the better for writers. And, you know, I always look at these things and think, well, what is best for the writer? What I uh, found from attending the Festival of Writing, which of which I'm a big fan, I, I, I hasten to add before I say this, but and I feel that from talking to people there, the traditional industry is generally telling people how they can't get published, whereas the self-publishing industry is telling people how they can actually get published. Oh, no, I, 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 don't, I wouldn't think that's fair at all. I mean, the, the traditional industry has got this kind of, there is a gatekeeper role. And they are passionate about quality, and it is competitive, and there is a sort of entrance standard. So, but, but remember, all the agents, I mean, we, and we have loads of agents at the festival, and we have, um, you know, more agents wanting to come to the festival than we can actually accommodate. So, so there is a real desire of agents to get out there and meet writers, and what they're wanting to do is find clients. They're, they're not coming for the fun of it, although it is a lot of fun, but, but they're coming in order to find writers and some of them will say look i love your stuff i really love this voice but this doesn't feel finished or this feels like the wrong project for you but you know keep going i want to see what you do so yeah there's a a, you know there's there's an entry standard which is high and it's testing and i think it should be 
Um, but, but there is real passion amongst agents for writers and for writing. And there's a kind of enthusiasm for quality writing. So that, that side of it, I, I don't have an issue with at all. Yeah, we should also say, um, you know, to, to balance this off, is that people walk away with deals from your event, don't they? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, sometimes those things, you know, turn into huge, huge book deals. I and mean, we had somebody last year, you know, last year, but, but I mean, who, who's now got a deal worth a well, well, well into the six figures. It may even be touching seven figures. I mean, it's it's huge. And and the, the film deal and everything. Um, so, 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 you know, those kind of outcomes are perfectly possible. Yes. Um, and again, you know, the, the, the sort of, if you really want to achieve uh, the, the sort of, yeah, I don't know, if you want to have the kind of Paula Hawkins type outcome, the, the, Gillian Flynn, Gone Girl type outcome, the, the Claire Macintosh, I Let You Go type outcome, those things are still basically only possible with Crad. I mean, they, they are still, those things at that level, they, you know, the, the traditional industry offers that. You can make tons of money, and, and there are more self-publishers making money now than there are trend publishers making money. But, but, but the very, very top echelon, I think, is still mostly dominated by Crad. So how soon is it going to be until you're inviting people like Rachel Abbott and Adam Croft to the Festival of Writing? Do you, do you think that's going to happen? Are we going to see that evolution? Um, Rachel is coming next year. Really brilliant. I mean, she, she's an alumnus of, of the, the Writers' Workshop. Uh, um, so, you know, she got her first ever editorial critique from us. And, um, you know, I, I think she sort of felt it was a bit of a sock in the mouth. It's like, oh, my goodness, these people have really just sort of you know, giving me constructive criticism of my work, but my gosh, it's pretty tough. And she went away and thought, okay, well, if that's the standard I have to meet, that's the standard I have to meet. So, yeah, you know, she, I think, did it properly, which is she didn't kind of rush out there with the first thing she'd written. She wanted to reach that proper quality standard. But no, no, I, I mean, I'm hoping next year that we have, that the sort of authors we, we put out there are going to be, uh, I think we'll have... I'm looking at having somebody from Bookature, um, somebody from, uh, you know, completely self-pub, uh, and maybe somebody else from a sort of non-conventional type of background. Um, and, yeah, put, put those people on the stand and kind of remind everybody that, that there are multiple routes to, to this, to, to, to the outcome people want. Yeah, and, I, yeah, and, 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 and sorry, and, and in fact, um, get somebody from, from Amazon Publishing as well. So, I mean, I think it'd be great to have a session where we've got multi-million sellers from indie publishing, from Amazon publishing and from Bookature. I mean, that would be, you know, that, that, that would be, I mean, I, mean, we, we, and I, and I know people who would, who would do that for this is a question of sort of arranging timings and that kind of thing. But, um, you know, that, that would really, really remind people that you can be a massively successful author and not really touch the traditional industry. And, you know, if you think of Rachel Abbott, Angela Marsons and somebody like Mark Edwards from, from Amazon Publishing, those people, I mean, you know, Mark has a prehistory with traditional publishing. Um, the other two don't. Uh, Angela Marsons is now traditionally published, but only through her success at Bookature. Um, so, so those are three people who've sold huge numbers of books, just huge numbers of books, basically without touching the traditional industry. Do you think the traditional industry is taking enough notice 
of what's going on in indie circles. No, 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 <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, I, I don't think they um, focus enough on uh, how indies do it. So actually the sort of um, best practice in Amazon publishing comes from people like Bookature and the best indie publishers. Um, and I don't think the traditional industry looks enough at that. I don't think they look enough at the sales that are being made in ebook because, you know, they tend to look at data that tracks ISBNs and indie don't use ISBNs. So they're just missing a big data set and they're not properly aware of how much they're missing. Um, and, you know, then as well that they have their roots so deeply in sort of print and high street retail that it's very hard for them to think of ebooks as anything other than a, a secondary and slightly embarrassing product. So I, I think there's a big culture shift that has not yet happened. And, you know, I, I think I, I, I think uh, there are real risks. I don't mean bankruptcy because that's not going to happen, but, but kind of it has been traditionally um, an industry that has, has sort of dominated that kind of culture. Uh, and I think it risks losing its dominance, not of high culture, but of popular culture. You know, is the next lead child going to come from the traditional industry or will come from the indie stroke book or stroke Amazon industry? Well, I think it's all, we can already answer that question and it's coming from more from the latter. Yeah. I mean, I, one of the things that struck me again at the future cast, uh, cause it really gets me thinking. I love that session. And um, I was thinking if I was an agent nowadays, I would be watching Kindle like a hawk to look at the people who were breaking through and to be navigating. Oh, they do. Early. Yeah. Yeah. No, they, 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 they do do that. Um, and you know, in, in the, a, a few years ago, um, people like uh, I don't know James Oswald and, and and that sort of generation of indie successes they they made a ton of money on the, the Kindle they they um agents approached them and said let's take you Prad and they moved Prad and you you, you know have have mostly sort of um set sail on, on the traditional seas quite happily so so agents absolutely are fishing from uh ebook successes uh but it doesn't go very much further than that. And of course, these days, ebook successes don't think, oh, great, now I can be a proper author. I'm going to go with the traditional industry. They're thinking, well, well really, you know, what, what do you offer? And are, are you the best fit for me? And we're seeing, I think, that the rights, um, indie authors are wanting the rights carved up more. So they're looking more at foreign territories. Uh, they're looking more at sort of ebooks and things like that now as well. And, and do you think that's right that we're going to see more of a carve up of those rights now and indie authors wanting to retain them a lot of them um i mean it's always happened i mean so so, so that traditional authors have always kind of divided their rights up and, and sort of sold them piece by piece um and, and all that we're really seeing is that indie authors are now being treated as you know they're, they're getting they're getting agents and, and agents are treating those indie authors in, in a very similar way um so yeah you know i mean if, if you're a big english language ebook success um, well, you probably don't have any sales in Germany and you're really going to translate the book and then self-publish it in Germany where that kind of self-publishing isn't as big? Or do you just get your agent to get you a traditional deal in Germany and somebody gives you a whole bundle of euros um, and they'll just take care of the whole thing for you? Well, you're obviously going to go with the latter course. 
I must um, give you an opportunity to talk about the Agent Hunter service as well, because I think that's really crucial and something that will be of interest to indie authors as well. Yeah, so, so Agent... Yeah, exactly. I mean, and, and, and these days, you know, if, if you're a decent-selling indie writer, um, then get an agent. And you might not want to sell the rights to your ebook, and that, that would probably limit the extent to which any traditional publisher will want you in the UK or the US. But you've still got your foreign rights, you've still got your film rights, you've still got your audio rights, you know, there's, there's still a ton of stuff you can do. Um, and Agent Hunter, yeah, I mean, the, the traditional way of finding an agent in the UK was to buy a book. And the, the book was an 800-page book, but it only had, I don't know, two dozen pages on, um, on actually listing out literary agencies. And it didn't necessarily list all of the agents at those agencies, and it wasn't even comprehensive in listing agencies. So, and what it gave you was basically a list of sort of phone numbers and website addresses now actually that's no use at all um and or, or you could just google it but then you know how there are loads of agents out there how do you know that you're finding the right agent for you and we just thought that was ridiculous so we built a site i mean it, it's basically a database but it's much more than that but you can th- th- there are long extended profiles of every agent where, where we get all the public information that exists on a particular agent we, we bundle all of that together we talk to the agents ask them sort of to add material of their own um, and then make all of that completely searchable and filterable so you can say look i want an agent who's new to the industry who loves sci-fi um uh, who's got an interest in time travel you, you can ask that question of the database and it'll pop you up an answer what does a writing day look like for you then well it's it, it varies i mean i'll always have a kind of bit of kind of boring email type stuff to do first thing but yeah, as soon as i can mostly and, and depending on the weather but i'll take my laptop into the garden um i don't even have a desk i don't even have a table i just, I just sit with a laptop on my lap um and write and yeah you know, I, I probably only write for a few hours a day because the sort of start of the day is is admin stuff um and then the end of the day is being submerged under a flood of children um but but you know from for me writing isn't really work i just enjoy doing it and to be honest you know e- even on christmas day or something if i can somewhere sneak an hour to to write i will do that because basically my day is better for having a bit of that time in it do you work to a a daily word count or are you driven by deadlines well neither really i mean um personally i don't believe in that whole word count thing i just think that's a a a tool for generating bad prose i mean if, if the words aren't flowing why push it and if they are flowing why why you know get off the merry-go-round um just because you hit your target so so for me yeah just write of the right quality when you can and it's not even really deadline driven because my my deadlines are fairly loose and i always submit well before the deadline so i I don't i mean i literally don't even know what the deadline for my um book is i doubt if my editor does um yeah i mean he always gets the books in plenty of time and we don't care and from a practical point of view, how are you writing into Word or do you use software to make it easier? Yeah, Word. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm low tech. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm really low tech. I don't even like taking notes. So I, I don't plan my novels out too much before I start. I mean, I have an idea of them in my head, but um, I don't put very much on paper. I work in Word. Um, I don't do any mind maps. I don't do you know, none of that Scrivener stuff. No, I just, I just write it. That's very interesting because, I, I, you know, if you're a traditionally published, I would expect the book to be, I don't know, 
posher somehow and planned and, and all mapped out and you know exactly what's happening, but you prefer that sort of evolution of a story, do you, do you prefer to discover it? I, I'm, I'm sure there's no distinction between self-pub and, and trad like that. Um, no, I mean, I, I do, as I say, have a kind of regional idea in my head of, of, of what the sort of main architecture of the story is going to be, but I just don't commit that particularly to paper. Um, but no, no, trad authors vary very, very widely from people who will just sit and write having no idea what's going on. I mean, Lee Child famously does that. Um, Stephen King does that. Um, to, to others who do pretty much have every chapter um, kind of planned out. So, yeah, there's, there's no one rule there. And even the way people work with publish, with, with their editors in, in the traditional industry, that varies a lot as well. So some people will, you know, their editors will say, can you send me chunks as you go? I mean, if my editor asked for that, I'd say no. Um, it's quite common for, for an editor to ask for a kind of like 20-page synopsis of the book before a writer gets going. And again, I, I would just say, look, I can't do that. I won't do that. You, you've read my past work if you like it you've just got to trust me. <laughs> um, but uh, I'm quite hard ass like that, I suppose. And, and how cleanly do you write? You know, once you've done that first draft, is it going to take a lot of messing around or, or do you write pretty clean and, and, and you know, directly? I, I do write pretty clean. That, I mean, that's partly that, you know, I'm approaching the end of my second decade as a writer. So um, I, I've just got better at it. Um, and I don't write that fast. So I'm perfectly happy to do write 800 words in a day if those are clean words i'm not somebody who wants to kind of notch up two and a half thousand words in a day's writing knowing that they're crap um so yeah my my, my first draft still needs some editing but it, it doesn't need anything radical and what does self-publishing look like uh, to you uh, because you know you said you're not technical are you are you outsourcing that process or are you doing any of it yourself well i do i mean i i think i'm self-publishing that that completely I, but i'm just doing it the, the, you know in, in a sort of smart way so can i build a website yeah i can but i i'm going to build a slightly crappy website and i want it to look really pucker so i outsource the website um i outsource the the cover design um i don't even actually do my own formatting but i'm sort of really on top of what the you know what the final ebook looks like um but to me the core of self-publishing is, is writing the book you know actually getting a product to you like it's having an idea of what the sort of branding and so on is and, and testing out the branding so that it's of the right quality um and then as well and in particular doing the whole kind of the, the, the mailing list stuff i have across the uk and the us about three and a half thousand names on my mailing list and about 30 percent of those people will buy a book within 12 hours of me sending an email so you know my marketing is heavily heavily email driven and that's something i and i alone do and to me that's the heart of the self-publishing process or certainly as i do it and also um audio books i wanted to ask you about are, are you are they being done through your publisher or are you doing those as an indie uh no they're being done through a publisher and to be honest the, the revenues aren't huge um my book is narrated so i mean i write first person as a woman and as a welsh woman so for me to narrate my own audiobooks would just be ridiculous because i'm an english man um trying to pretend to be a, a kind of 20 something welsh woman would be ridiculous uh so i have to get a kind of professional um you know artist to do that and so you're looking at 
um, I should then go over 10 grand um, an audio book. And I mean, I'd be happy spending that kind of money if I, if I thought I was going to get a quick return on it. But um, certainly the return isn't going to be quick. Do you think um, audio books are going to be um, a, a growth industry, you know, with the, the massive uptake of, of mobile devices? Well, clearly they are. I, I mean, in, in the sense that, that clearly sales are growing. I think from an indie point of view, it's a little bit challenging. You know, are you, are you just going to narrate it yourself? Um, in which case, fine. But I think it's hard to achieve the quality standards just because, you know, I think there is a sort of professionalism in, in um, you know, in, in that narration. Uh, and, you know, how many self-pub writers were really shift enough audiobooks to, to generate the money back I, I don't know i mean for me for me that's seen from self-pop point of view i think audiobooks are pretty marginal i mean for me i make my money in self-pub uh mostly from i mean i mean obviously mostly from ebooks but you know I, I still make uh thousands of dollars a year from selling trade paperbacks in the u.s um so you, you know I, I mean i still I probably sell slightly fewer trade paperbacks in the US than I do in the UK, but but not by a distance. And you know, in the UK, I've got a traditional publisher, and I'm it, my books are being sold up and down the high street. So I think there's an awful lot you can do with self pub, but for me, audio is a little bit marginal. I think you're in a fascinating position because you've had such a long writing career, because you've experienced the, the highs and lows of, of traditional, because you're you know, an evangelist now about self-publishing and because you've got such wonderful access to all elements of all industries through uh, the work that you do with Writers Workshop. So that said, if I were a brand new writer, an aspiring writer, what advice would you give now to me in terms of my career? What would you tell me to do or advise me to do? Well, I wouldn't, is the answer. I mean, it, it really depends on the individual. I mean, the, the one thing I would say is get the damn book right. Most people, whether they're sort of aiming at trad or, or, or self-pub in their heads, in their minds, most people will try and get the book out there before it's ready. It, the product isn't good enough. Get the damn product right. And, um, you know, with, with trad, it's nice and easy. There's a simple test of that. Does an agent want to represent you, yes or no? Um, with indie, obviously, anyone can upload anything, so so that same test doesn't exist. But I would say, if you're a new writer and you definitely, definitely want to be self-pub, I'd say still get your book out to agents, to test the market, and you know, get to a point where either you're getting close with agents or you've actually get an offer from an agent, um, because that's when you know that your book is actually strong enough. And you know, I, I think near misses are fine. Uh, or, or, you know, if you've got other really strong reasons, I mean, you know, if you came to the writer's workshop and, and asked for an editorial critique and maybe the first time we gave you one, you sort of, we gave you a good kicking and you went away and improved your book, and improved your book, and improved your book, and then brought it back to us. And we said, OK, look, there's still some things you can tighten. There's still some things you can do here and here and here. But this is a pretty damn good book. You know, you want that authoritative third party saying, yep, your book has reached the right standard. Your mum telling you that isn't the same thing you thinking that isn't the same thing your beta readers telling you that isn't the same thing so my, my first piece of advice is always get the book right and then after that you know i mean if you're right if you're relatively prolific relatively entrepreneurial you're not scared of tech um and, and you write genre then if you want to go self-pub go self-pub but but you need to think of it as a sort of long-term thing not you, you know you're not going to get rich on that first book not these days um 
if you want to go trad, go trad. Um, but obviously, you know, if you're writing literary fiction, there's absolutely no point in even thinking about self-pub. I just don't know anyone who has successfully written literary fiction, you know, in self-pub. I mean, you, you just need that, those traditional channels. So, and, you know, everyone's position is different. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that. I mean, I, you know, as an indie author, I get massive value from Festival of Writing and from the agent feedback because it's a touchstone for me. You know, it, it lets me know what kind of level I need to be hitting uh, and, I, and I really value the feedback, however bruising it is, uh, you know, but you need it, don't you? You need that feedback um, if you're going to improve, I think. So, uh, yeah, I really value that. Well, what have you got coming up next then? What's next on your to-do list? Um, well, I, I, I mean, I'm editing, doing final edits on, on a novel. I'm, I've started the next novel. Um, the, the Rice Workshop, a kind of interesting thing that we're doing is is a, a video course on on how to write. I mean, one of the things that we've sort of you know been aware of for some time is is that there are all these kind of amazing workshops at York, and people come away kind of buzzing with with what they've learned. But you know, it's quite a pick and mix what happens at York. So so you know, you you pick a jewel here and a jewel there and a jewel there. Um, you still got to kind of put it all together yourself. And then loads of people can't make it to write to, to the festival of writing. We've only got room for sort of three hundred and fifty, whatever. Um, so. We, yeah, we wanted to put together a video course that kind of has everything on how to write there in a box that you can access from anywhere. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, that, that'll be for the new year, but we're, we're quite a long way down the road there. Thank you for listening to this week's Self-Publishing Journeys. If you enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with your indie author friends. Or you can leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or whichever podcast directory you use. In the meantime, you'll find previous interviews and all the show notes at selfpublishingjourneys.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll have more great self-publishing tips for you next week.